Hi everyone, in today's episode of Scouting for Growth, we are thrilled to welcome a tech pioneer whose name echoes robustly with software engineering. Michele Gimino, CEO of Lasting Dynamics, is joining us today. Michele has imprinted the tech landscapes of Spain, Italy, and Norway with his spirit. Lasting Dynamics, far from being a generic software firm, epitomizes precision and coding to partners' distinctive needs in order to ensure an exclusive synergy for mutual benefit. A blend of hard work, relentless dedication, and an insatiable appetite for innovation accentuates Michele's journey. Think about Agile, OKRs, Scrum, TDD, and Shuhari principles. Those are not mere buzzwords, but reflective of his continuous quest for knowledge. As we venture into the earth of uh, today's discussion on agile transformation, with relevant case studies for finance and insurance, Michele's diverse tech repertoire promises to illuminate us with his insights. So, what makes Michele's journey compelling? Well, we will dive into four key points. One, becoming a visionary leader at Lasting Dynamics was not easy. Steering a company that is not just another name in software, but a boutique powerhouse that tailors code to partners' unique needs, partnering with only an exclusive few each year for mutual growth is really commendable. Championing quality and innovation is number two. Not just embracing, but mastering and driving methodology like I said, Agile, OKRs, and TDD was very important for Michele. This quest for knowledge propels him and his team to always stay ahead of the tech curve. Then three, ensuring a diverse tech mastery. Whether it is about navigating the world of AI-driven mobile apps or pioneering growth hacking strategy since 2019, actually. Michele's tech stack is both expensive and profoundly impressive. Four, it's about building a global force in the startup or tech ecosystem. Not confined to a zero role, Michele's influence spans as an advisor and shoulder across Europe, showcasing his unwavering commitment to hard work and achieving tangible outcomes. So as we delve deeply into today's conversation, we will explore the secrets behind his impressive growth, the art of managing vendors across multiple time zones, and ensuring top-notch quality assurance, amongst many other subjects. So let's the exploration begin. Prepare yourself for an invigorating deep dive into a discussion full of insights with Michele Cimino.
Hi, Michele. Hello, Sabine. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. And you? How are you? I'm really good. Thank you so for I'm, having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about Agile transformation. So before we go into that, Michele, let's get into understanding who you are. Who are you? <laughs> okay. Yeah, well... Um... Uh, I would say that I am the owner of uh, Lasting Dynamics Group, and uh, that is a, a a group made of several companies. Started from uh, the idea that uh, we wanted to provide the IT market with uh, with the quality, uh, an alternative to the many chip solution uh, uh, providers that were on the market in 2013, and unfortunately still are. I would say uh, so. We started from that. And uh, then actually, uh, um, Lasting Dynamics now is not only uh, a software house, but also um, is a group that includes uh, real estate and uh, and uh, uh, an educational uh, branch and uh, the made of academies, majorly academies. And um, and yeah, so I'm myself um, a software engineer, uh, and uh, and I started. Uh, uh, this company, as I just said, in 2013, in 2015, it became already uh, an SRL, that is the Italian equivalent for uh, LLC. And then in 2020, we went uh, became a multinational by opening also in uh, in Spain and Norway. And in 2022, uh, we arrived to the uh, to Dubai. Yes, and uh, uh, so so yeah, that's uh, the the long story short, I would say. Impressive, Michele. And actually, before going to the meat of our discussion, I'd love for you to tell us what is a challenge you just mentioned? You know, you've seen there was a major challenge in product development, product design and technology alignment. And so what challenge were you trying to address? Okay. Um, can um, uh, sound uh, simple or, or easy, but actually most of the issues that we encountered uh, with the customers um, were related to the misalignment between their thoughts and what actually was delivered to them. Okay, so uh, communication is definitely a challenge, but a software engineering uh, uh, describes very carefully what is the, the process to do uh understand the requirements collect them analyze them and then start the execution uh breaking down into smaller pieces and uh you know following uh, probably agile methodologies or any other kind of methodology and uh you would uh, probably be surprised by knowing that 70% of our customers uh came to us after uh, uh, failing with another software house with another team so we um quickly became the, the the alternative to those that either wanted to restart uh, in, a, in a better way or eventually uh, arrived to a point in which uh, they really needed uh, a, a, a good software development team uh, that could make them scale, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and grow. So the challenges, uh, coming back to the point, are majorly around the idea that uh, uh, there are a lot of, of, of companies uh, on the market that unfortunately still uh, do not follow a totally transparent uh, uh, process uh, uh, of development. And sometimes they arrive to deliver something that is not really what the customer needs. You know, and um, so so I would I would uh, I would describe it this way. Yeah. 
That's super cool. And, you know, the, the reason why I wanted to ask you that question is because, yes, you know, when you look at business and technology and now we're in this digital world, you know, this overlap between business and technology is becoming much more blurred, if I can say it that way. You know, we've seen generative AI now. You can use AI in the business office. You understand what those models really can deliver. And finally, people understand what the you know, data scientists and uh, engineers have been working on for, for many years. And actually being able to reduce the gaps between those two, I mean, part of you know, those two teams within the business is critical, which takes me to one of your key projects, actually, Michaeli. You have helped one of your big customers to achieve in a very short time period uh, the ability to activate over 1 million active users, right? So can we delve a little bit into the strategies that you have seen instrumental in achieving the level of rapid adoption with that specific client, please. Okay, so um, achieving a one million active users is not easy for startups, and I know, uh, not indeed, easy for small medium enterprises. But it's definitely easier for large enterprises. Okay, uh, and what is the reason? It's because they have a lot of, of data already there. You know, it's stored some somewhere. The problem is that eventually they don't have the right process in terms of a funnel or a, or they do not have the right digital products on the market to to uh you know make sure that those data can become something you know for for the enterprise and um and uh, generally speaking uh, coming back to this experience that uh, we earlier dis- discussed um one uh, so one of the problems in my opinion of uh, of the uh, execution in in these large enterprises is the time they usually target a span of 12 months to deliver an mvp but an mvp minimum viable product uh, itself uh, cannot be uh, cannot hit the market 12 months after being designed it's it's too late uh, generally speaking so from a tech perspective, uh, an MVP should be launched within four, six months maximum, in my opinion. And uh, that allows, uh, uh, from, from a business uh, uh, point of view, to collect feedback faster, um, uh, avoid the waste of budget in directions that eventually are not even uh, that valuable, and then uh, uh, um, learn from the empirical experience of the, the data that is collected and the usage that is made of the application so that they can be expanded. Uh, sometimes these larger enterprises have some static processes that uh, um, uh, make the agile uh, you know, mindset uh, um, uh, becoming something hybrid with the, all the waterfall methodology. Okay, regardless, you know, the execution is agile. If you have, a, I don't know, a... a uh, let's say um, a penetration testing uh, process that lasts two months. You are already, you know, impacting somehow, you know, the 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 deliverables. So that can be one of the first uh, the first points. The, another point is that um, uh, I truly believe that um, if we want to stay in the insurance and even banking and probably other sectors industries, uh, the customer experience is everything. Okay, Steve Jobs, you know, thought us that actually we should start from the problem and then arrive to analyze the technology to solve that problem and not really look at the technology we have on the table and say, okay, I have, a, I don't know, a bit of blockchain, a bit of AI and a bit of a quantum computer. How can we market it? No, this is not the, the, the right way. So 
um, if you uh, use a, an insurance application or a, or a, or a you know a banking app, probably the the user experience is very very cold. You 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 use it for few minutes just to do whatever you need, and then you close it. You are not engaged to the application. There is nothing more that you can do on that, and uh, probably you do not have a will to discover more about it. So transforming this experience, in my opinion, is one of the keys to succeed. And this is what happened in this project. And that's why probably they quickly, you know, arrived to 6 million downloads and uh, 1 million active users. So what you were saying, Michele, was, is very, very uh, interesting to me because, you know, when you think at finance of insurance, one thing we actually learn a lot is uh, we need to be iterative. We need to do test and learn. We need to actually make sure the products are there uh, to be tested by our customers so that we can actually grow and scale those products rather than putting something that no one wants after 12 months. And, you know, in insurance, we, we've done and we've seen that a lot because of regulation. Often insurers says to me that we cannot put half of a product to market. We need to put a full product. Um, and so... That takes me to, to your insight and views as to how you see and foresee the future of technology in finance. And how do we, how have you experienced uh, corporations, big and small, and the ability to put new product to market, new MVP to market, uh, while balancing, you know, that innovation stringent requirements, which are regulatory often, you know, constrained? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the um, I, I will start from uh, from mentioning that uh, the uh, what you described is the the lean cycle. Okay, that probably uh, goes across all the agile methodologies. Uh, if you think about feature driven development, it somehow um, moves uh, uh, pretty much in the same way. Uh, if you think about the growth process, um, I I was uh, a couple of years ago very inspired by the growth process in uh, uh, HubSpot. Uh, so how they do it is actually genius. I loved it. Um, and we we learned from them. Uh, the, the idea was to um, find uh, experiments uh, that could, uh, uh, you know, help the team achieving the growth. And uh, these experiments were uh, putting into some uh, uh, pretty scientific, I would say, format, uh, following some steps and having a template so that all the teammates in the, with the, among the team could, uh, could work in the same direction. And then uh, uh, the execution helped them collecting data and arriving to a binary de decision. Is this interesting and we need to understand more? So how many other experiments we can design in order to understand that? Or no, let's close it and move on, you know? And uh, that kind of... Uh, so if you think about a higher level, about all these, uh, uh, you know, cycles uh, across the agile methodologies... Uh, it's the way you develop software, the way you create digital products nowadays. There is no other way, you know, to, to do that in a proficient way. So the, the challenge is majorly now for the large enterprises to adapt to that. Uh, and it's not easy. I do understand that. And the reason is majorly because they have giant teams. They have a lot of employees that are working in several departments, I personally saw, you know, the madness of coordinating uh, different departments that, uh, you know, uh, have a different expertise area and uh, have also 
reduce the visibility on what the others are doing among the same company. So com big companies like Accenture or Sunrise uh, started to adopt uh, uh, scaled uh, agile frameworks such as uh, uh, Safe Scrum, for example, and uh, that helped them uh, uh, innovating, you know, the 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 process, uh, but at the same time uh, being compliant with uh, all the regulations. For example, in Lasting Dynamics, we are ISO twenty seven thousand one certified, and uh, we do know uh, we have been helping a lot of US customers becoming a PCI compliant. From level one to three, we are aware and we follow the rules of HIPAA. That is pretty much the protection for sensitive patients' health information. And uh, um, and when you have a, such of a legal tech experience or, a, or a, even a small department in your company that uh, understands the matter, and on the other end, on the ground, you have uh, uh, good engineers that understand the practices about cybersecurity when it comes to every domain, front-end, DevOps, back-end, then it is easier to be eventually compliant with the, with the, this policy because when you build something ground up or start integrating the pieces into a digital product, you with a, with a uh, forward-looking mindset, you can definitely already place everything in a way that uh, you will not waste two months into penetration testing or, you know, three months uh, getting a, a list of uh, of uh, items to become compliant with this and with that and then adapt, you know. So, uh, and this is actually an engineering mindset that is called the bottom up, you know, so you, okay. you, you, you start from that and then you aggregate uh, uh, in a way that can, uh, can succeed. Yeah. So there are two areas I want to dive into then a uh, first quality assurance and then, you know, managing, managing multiple vendor, because today when we want to design apps and when we want to design uh, products, services, platforms, we cannot just do it on our own anymore. We need to work with many and we need to make sure that what we are putting out there, as you just mentioned with your cybersecurity example, everything is to a level of security and a degree of customer compliance that allows us to scale and grow our businesses. So I wanted to know, you know, can you elaborate as to how Lasting Dynamics approach quality assurance for an app? A point of view in one market, multiple markets, you know, small company, big company, and how do you ensure that the technical perfection and the adherence to values international markets, particularly regulations, right? Whether we are in the UK, you know, we have the FCA, we are in Europe, we have different regulation. In Singapore, we have the Monetary Authority of Singapore. So how do you do that, Michele? Uh, well, so the... the... I will start from uh, uh, quality assurance itself. Okay, so the idea is uh, to to test the application in order to make sure that it will be you will deliver something that is uh, high end in the end, uh, you know, on the on the on the market. And the reason is that you wanna you want to prevent uh, those uh, very embarrassing situations in which uh, imagine a mobile application or a web appli web application where Either uh, an end user is uh, blocked by uh, fulfilling a, a basic functionality of uh, yeah. of the software, and what could be eventually the you know the 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 result of that from a marketing perspective. I saw tons of uh, applications into the insurance uh, uh, 
field that have uh, one star on five of feedback, you know, or uh, or eventually pretty bad uh, feedbacks on uh, and that that is that comes from uh, a a wrong tech execution uh, most of the time, okay? Because it's the frustration of users that uh, find the bugs and would actually deal directly with something functional that works. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a charm. So quality assurance is meant for that in in tech companies, in software development companies, and uh, it cannot be done by developers. Uh, you might be surprised to discover that nowadays there are still a lot of customers that uh, tell you, and what is uh, this quality assurance? Probably the developers should do that. No, you need a third party in the team that uh, is not uh, the uh, code owner that will uh, uh, perform a white box testing, a black box testing eventually on the uh, final product and give a feedback. Uh, uh, analyze it from uh, many different angles. UI testing, user acceptance uh, testing, the classic regression testing, uh, uh, performance testing, uh, compatibility testing. How many times you can deliver, a, a, I don't know, an application on the market that works well on uh, iPhone uh, whatever, and instead on previous previous versions of the operating systems or on other operating systems or browsers will not work as uh, as intended. You know, that is something that that needs to be taken in account. And it's not easy. It's challenging because the, the world is evolving, keeps growing, you know, so you have to pay attention in many directions at the same time. Coming uh, uh, to the small, so so most of the time for small, medium enterprises, startups, I would say that it is enough, you know, to focus on having a, a good product and then take all the time uh, that is needed uh, after, a, during a friends and family eventually release to understand more about the regulations if you don't have already in-house knowledge about what you're doing, okay? Uh, or what is need, needs to be done. For large enterprises, it, it's easier uh, for them because, of course, they have departments that, uh, entire departments uh, with a lot of uh, knowledge in uh, in specific areas. Uh, one of our customers uh, has a presence in uh, Southeast Far East Asia that extends among uh, 12 different countries. So you might understand that, uh, uh, you know, that as a software house, you can really actually not... Uh, uh, bring uh, that much value more than uh, understanding uh, their needs and uh, make sure that that will happen in the best way possible uh, with a certain commitment. So quality assurance is also about uh, analyzing the requirements. It's not only about executing you know, some tests. It's, uh, it's about understanding uh, uh, what will be needed and how this can be you know, provided. Um I would say that uh, when it happens in Europe, the GDPR, uh, it yeah. was uh, such of a, of a big, uh, you know, impact for uh, for everyone. We have been helping. Uh, uh, I would say majorly on on PCI and the GDPR, a uh, lot of customers becoming uh, compliant. You know, with the uh, with the, the regulation and. Uh, keeping it up because it changes <laughs> it uh, mm-hmm. so you so you need to 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 maintain it and uh, and eventually uh, you know uh, avoid uh, mistakes that uh, that uh, might cause a lot of uh, pain yeah so it's interesting you actually mentioned gdpr because you know just a few days ago i was again reviewing you know the the um 
European directive around, uh, not generative AI, but around artificial intelligence, right? The artificial intelligence principle, which have all those words around transparency, responsibility, explainability, you know, human in the loop and so on and so forth. And so the question I have for you, Michele, is that, you know, often in those projects, we have to deal with a lot of vendors. We have to deal with a lot of teams and address internal politics and actually ma manage overcomplicated activity, right? Everybody wanting their pie, you know, the, the piece of the pie and fight their battles. So how have you been able to manage project of small or big magnitude and deal with all those people as part of the value chain? Yeah, I call it the multi-vendor madness. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> No, uh, so yeah, the um, that that's that's pretty hard. Uh, I would say that um, yeah, the um, the most important part of the game is uh, is to be transparent and uh, and uh, um, and uh, loyal to 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 your partner or to your customer, and that always pays back in a way that you mentioned the political games. I saw many political games happening. Uh, between companies that were, uh, uh, you know, trying to steal pieces, you know, of contract uh, to others. Uh, I hate it, honestly. Uh, and the reason is that uh, I like the idea that uh, the, the most important goal and value for everyone on a project should be the final result of the product and everyone should sacrifice a bit of personal you know interest uh, towards that goal that that's my 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 um, you know biggest uh, uh, statement about this in the way that I I try to to teach everyone in Lasting Dynamics to have this kind of mindset. And then in the years we we understood that actually if you work hard and show commitment and demonstrate that you can bring value actually with the, your knowledge, your experience, with your uh, skills, even ramping up some situation that sometimes are uh, outside of the schema, you know, so you have to adapt very quickly. And that is in the agile mindset, you know, uh, re react quickly to the problem rather than trying always to prevent it, you know, that, that's agile. Um, and uh, it paid back a lot in the way that customers uh, started to trust us, to uh, love us in the way that they gave us uh, more and more responsibilities. And what other companies might see as an upsell opportunity, I usually see as a way to uh, reinforce what is our business model. We we select few customers per year and we partner up in order to grow together. So when they grow automatically, if it is also a bit thanks to us, then we grow too, you know? So yeah. so I, I don't see it only as an upsell opportunity. I see it as a, an opportunity to grow and learn a lot from another reality, from another companies. And this is what usually uh, uh, happened in other directions. One uh, funny thing, you know, that if you open Lasting Dynamics website, the first statement that you see, the, the header, you know, uh, the hero is uh, quality software development. So if we decided to place that, uh, you know, statement as the first one you see when you open the website, probably there is a reason. And uh, we have been working for uh, several years with this customer up to the point that uh, they were they knew the, the quality at 360 degrees that we were uh, delivering from the code to the communication, the agile practices, uh, uh, the, the quick response and, uh, and many other aspects. 
And then uh, another vendor came, just arrived, and uh, and in a meeting there was uh, someone saying that uh, the reason why they couldn't deliver something is, pe- is because uh, what we did on our side was not really, uh, you know, uh, high end. Was not really good, and everyone was laughing at that meeting. Like you know, so if you they didn't are, know what they were talking about, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this, not this is not possible. You know, this is where this was their reaction, and then when they told me, I was not angry. I was just laughing because you know, if you do, if if your goal is another one, and it's not just you know revenues and profit and whatever, then uh, when this happens, uh, there is a shield around you because that you built with the commitment and with the results Indeed. and uh, and somehow this uh, propagates you know to all the people also that work together on on the on the project in fact most of the time we have a very good uh, um, collaboration experience with other vendors and the in-house employees of uh, of our customers and i i can mention from capgemini to accenture uh, sunrise i can mention um, uh, KPMG, a lot of companies we have been working with, and we were not really fighting. You know, it it was not not uh, not the not really the intent. <laughs> Great to hear, and uh, I think it's very important to understand that you know in the world we are living in. I have to say, Michele, is that more and more we are living in digital ecosystems. Is you do your bits, I do my bits, but we can only do better for our clients to work by working together. So one plus one equals 15 actually nowadays. And you know your strengths and I know my strengths. And I know that combining your your capability with my capability, we can deliver so much more, which takes me to do things, right? Adapting to client needs. And today those are very active, continuously changing, and they cannot even fulfill the needs of their own customer fast enough because of the pace at which our world is changing. And another point you made is about managing client uh, relationships. So caring for your client, understanding what they need before they need them. It's about not only focusing on the bottom line or the top line of what we'll get from the project, but always be committed to delivering value, right? The value exchange between the two parties. So I want to know from you, Michele, how do you think in a dynamic world we are in right now, right? How does internal team make the best decision and implement the best digital processes to actually deliver value, right, within the organization? And you, Michele, having worked now for over 10 years and build this business called Lasting Dynamics to where it is today, you know, when you look at your customer profile, how do you manage, right, those relationships with the chief commercial officer, the chief customer officer, the chief customer experience officer, the chief digital officer, all those people today who are measured on delivering strategies, which are super connected to the new world of tomorrow? And the reason why I'm asking you that question is I'm reading that book, actually, um, Michele. So last night I was reading that book around how you build a, a um a business from zero to 100 million, right? Sales blueprint uh, in a sh- very short period of time. And one thing which I post on is the customer. Filmography, demographic, and psychographic, you know, how you align all three to define your customer. But I want to understand the, the answer to the question from you. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, very interesting topic, actually. Um, Lasting Dynamics is uh, still still highly based on the revenues coming from uh, the consultancy. So basically, okay. 
we do, uh, the projects that we develop uh, with our customers, uh, up to the point that uh, we do not even define them customers. Unfortunately, it's hard to instill into the, the mind of people that a partner can be also customer, but we refer to them always as partners, never as Same customers. Here. And, you know, and, I've used that term for a very long time and uh, for probably over 10 years, I never call my customers customer. I would call them partners because I want to be in any cool relationship with them. That's the only way I can deliver value. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That That's the point. And uh, comes from the business model itself of Lasting Dynamics, in which we decided to not, uh, you know, provide our services to 200 customers every year, but actually to focus on 10 new every year and uh, uh, have an organic growth. Some, some, someone tells me what is an organic growth is a, is a growth that, it, that comes with the time, with the passions, you know, that's, that's how, how I see it. And um, so the first uh, thing that I say to everyone in Lasting Dynamics is a respect for our partners because they know a lot because they come from a uh, big experience most of the time they have uh, uh, we can learn a lot from them and uh, uh, we can help them definitely so so usually understanding a client need is is a unique technique and art i would say uh, because you need to start from the the, the ground uh, you know point in which you admit that you really want you know to to uh analyze uh the the, the their their uh requirement why did he ask me this uh, what is the reason why they are doing that you know uh starting from understanding what is their internal process what are they doing why are they researching in this direction why they want to develop this that allows you to become a bit closer to their mindset to their experience to their discovery because probably they discovered something you don't know yet and help them with your know-how with your tech experience with your uh, you know i would say cross industry uh, experience that that we are um, acquired uh, accurate in this uh, uh, more than 10 years and um, bring value so there is another big huge point uh, that made me fight with a, a lot of business developers in lasting dynamics in the years okay and uh, and it comes from the idea that uh, for me um, working with the partners means that we should never become salesy. In the very moment in which you are trying to sell something and you become a seller, then you lose all the value that you you can bring to to someone. You know because that is just a consequence. You know of you being able to help them realizing something. I I have the knowledge and the, uh, the experience. I can build the trust then there is, uh, you know, I, I can help you doing something, then I sell you something. You cannot, uh, you know, <laughs> revert to the process. Start from, uh, can I sell you something? And then showing the value and arrive to the trust. No, that, that doesn't work. So we, we genuinely start from the idea that uh, we, can, we can bring value and we should uh, uh, keep bringing value every time, you know, as much as we can within the limitations, you know, that, uh, that uh, might, we might have. And um, make sure that, uh, that uh, uh, you know, uh, we could uh, uh, improve a process, improve uh, something that they, they were already able to do on their own eventually or, they, or, or just to solve one of the problems of uh, their bottlenecks. 
that usually translates uh, into uh, gaining trust and uh, creating personal relationships with the most of the vice presidents or C-level uh, positions in the companies uh, we work with. Uh, I, I have a, a, even a, you know a friendship, a good relationship. We have been doing a lot of things together. They participate in in our activities. We participate in their own activities. Uh, it's it's fantastic. You said something before. Uh, going together, you know. Yeah, I truly believe into that too. I I really believe into that. But uh, with the people that share the same uh, DNA and uh, and mindset, you know, and the constructive, you know, <laughs> mindset. That that's uh, that's the way. And Ruth Pusan, you know, I think it's very difficult to to change mindset when you know a world we are living in has been used to selling and recruiting salespeople. Um. From my personal experience for the past 10 years, you know, when I moved from working with big corporations to to building acceleration program is what I learned is you are living and breathing partnership. You are living and breathing uh, with corporations which are trying to improve their own businesses, corporations which might be startups or big companies as well. And um, they want to find trusted advisors, as you said, trusted, mean trust first advisors second, uh, people who are there to to drive value and then they can make good decisions. And by building the trust and providing value exchanges, then you actually build projects. And I never feel that I'm selling actually, Michaeli. I'm always trying to drive value for those around me, which takes me to, I think, an important question because you know, I discovered Lasting Dynamics recently um, through a good friend of ours. And I want to understand, you know, how do you help the organizations you are working with alongside the partners you are working with customize and build applications, you know, white label application like you, I'm doing white label model. So, you know, I, I push capability and then no one really know that I'm doing this behind the scene. How do you drive value from white label solution customization? And how do the client receive those services and the flexibility and adaptability and therefore continuously work with lasting dynamics? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the uh, the two kind of big projects we usually work on is either a, a custom software development, uh, you know, uh, a project uh, that has uh, certain, uh, you know, uh, challenges and uh, and uh, and ideas behind it. Uh, another one is uh, definitely the the what you mentioned, you know, the um, uh, the the white label solutions. So the what what is the idea behind that okay why starting from scratch um, sometimes you really don't need it uh, and especially when uh, big uh, large enterprises are uh, approaching a digital transformation uh, you need to have some numbers you need to prove something in terms of uh, uh, usability of the software and uh, case studies that might be related to that so one of the examples that i can uh, can give you is this uh, um insurance application it's a module that we built from scratch that takes some of the best innovative features uh, already on the market and uh, puts them together into a super app that allows uh, uh, this way uh, businesses into 
uh, finance, uh, uh, insurance, uh, constructions, uh, real estate, and and uh, few others, uh, delivering immediate immediately the the you know the the value of uh, engagement, uh, user engagement. The, because they have a problem with the, the retention usually, and they have a problem with the engagement in the way that, uh, as I was mentioning before, the the usage of the application is quite uh, a cold experience, you know. And uh, and um, so so why so coming back to the point, sometimes it's valuable to starting from something that uh, already worked, that is uh, already innovative uh, according to what they have, and this way the whole product ownership uh, uh, part of the team can focus on which are the valuable integrations that we should bring in 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 this module uh, which uh, of our products we want to connect with this digital product and how can we further innovate it so you do not start from zero you start from 10 that means you can think about 11 instead of one and, uh, and that brings a, a big value a white label solutions are usually so this is a white label solution that we offer for example but we have been doing also in other in other uh, with other products but what happens usually is also that uh, uh, large enterprises but even small medium and, and startups i would say might be interested in building a product that is versatile enough to uh, serve also the partners uh, among the same umbrella you know group of applications uh, of companies that uh, might require a similar application for different segment of usage might uh, uh, think to create uh, an application uh, that is a kind of a SaaS distribution, but then as a, a white label uh, a solution for each vertical, mm -hmm. and that that brings uh, a lot of value because with one shot you you develop ten products, you know, and and uh, and, um, and that uh, definitely reduces the costs and. Uh, and uh, innovates, innovates quite a lot. I'm thinking now, uh, in particular, to you know, to to some of the modules that uh, that are part of this uh, this uh, this application that we developed for Insurance World, and um, uh, I can mention the uh, uh, you know the the, the streaming. Uh, that, that sounds uh, crazy, but actually it works in the way that uh, once you start to place your application on the stores, what happens is that you will be advertised under the carousels of uh, uh, gaming because you have a mini game, some mini games into the application, uh, video streaming and entertainment and a few others. If you have, uh, I don't know, you can listen to podcasts through this application or music, or eventually you can watch videos fitness if some of these videos are about fitness and that brings uh, uh, immediate marketing value then what is the value that this might bring to the organization is that of course the users will spend more time on the application because they have a lot of uh, functionality they can uh, they can play with and uh, this way, probably by not selling them directly, we come back to the point, you know, like, uh, you know, we have a new offer. No, I'm not interested. Spam immediately. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Uh, the instead of the approach is that you offer something they spend the time on your application eventually why going and take the the product from a competitor if i spend i don't know an hour per day or 30 minutes per day playing with with this application then i will trust you and probably buy the product directly from you you know you see the point yeah and that, um, that's the value you know that uh 
hopefully I answered your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting because, you know, you are so right that we are bombarded every day by offers, right? But people don't try to understand what we are saying earlier, the client needs, the need in the primary phase or helping one play with something. And I've recently an experience of um, some company being so confident about, I mean, twice being so confident with their product and said, Sabine, you need to test it. And I have a guest who tested it, but they didn't realize I'm an experienced tester. And uh, I identified all the flows with their product and uh, they didn't, they are not even responding to my emails anymore because they realize that um, there's a lot of work they need to do for it to be client-focused, which, Michele, takes me in some ways to, you know, we talk about developing application, leveraging the best of the best, right, to build the apps of the future. What's your view around managing in-house teams? You know, partly when they are across multiple markets and you are working often with teams across markets, particularly when you develop those solutions, which are cross-geographies, Cross countries. So, how do you collaborate, right, with the internal teams, and how your team augment the internal teams to help them deliver the really best for their own clients? I will start from the the time zone problem. Okay. Yes. Uh, I would say that uh, there is a um, probably a lack of knowledge uh, nowadays in at the executive level, uh, where most of the time they think that if they are in Singapore, they need the people in, uh, in their time zone. If they are in USA, then they need people in their time zone. If you are in North Europe, then you need people in Europe. You cannot go there. You cannot. Okay, why? Uh, why I'm saying that this is this might be um, um, a, a common mistake. The reason is that uh, I would nowadays not. I would even even say after COVID, but uh, regardless, that regardless, <laughs> I will, I will, I would point out that asynchronous interaction exists since many years now, and is bringing a lot of. Uh, innovation and uh, and the new possibilities to the to the IT you know process and and execution but generally speaking the the market and uh, um, uh, the reason is that uh, we do not need to jump on a meeting for everything we might need to synchronize and that can even easily happen if you are in Australia and I'm in Italy and we have I don't know 10 hours of of difference we can catch up once in a week or, you know, uh, once uh, every three days, even if we want to have a closer look to something, but we can keep interacting asynchronously with the Slack, with uh, uh, the agile boards, the, all the workflow management systems that are out there. You know, we have a Roundrush that is a proprietary software that we built that allows you to, to work uh, in a team and uh, cross the teams uh, by uh, concentrating everything on the to dos, on the tasks, on the on the items uh, for the you know that are on the on the system, rather than uh, being in need of talking with someone uh, every time. Then, say that the communication is still a big challenge because, as you know, sometimes you take something that is small like this and it becomes big like this just because. Uh, propagation of uh, you know information that happens in in a wrong way and that is uh, you know uh, scientific in, in the way that there are a lot of uh, books that uh, that demonstrate that uh, the, the 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 information gets contaminated very quickly just because it goes through different people and uh, and you know and you have intermediaries into the the communication so so 
um, the, the good balance, in my opinion, is between the synchronous and asynchronous communication. And this is what we do in Lasting Dynamics. Yeah. Uh, we prefer the asynchronous interaction by using uh, all the tools at our disposal and the practices, not only tools, so that we can always uh, uh, have uh, a clear picture or, of where we are. We don't need to talk about uh, what is the progress on this. We, we can see directly. What is the progress? If everyone updates uh, the statuses on uh, on Jira, let's say, or a Randrush, uh, and uh, uh, every uh, we can always uh, avoid the bottlenecks. Uh, if eventually we pay always more attention to what is almost completed rather than what is in to do, so finish first what is almost done and then start something new. And uh, this way, there is less micromanagement. That usually is the reason why people prefer synchronous co uh, communication and interaction. Okay, so this uh, generally speaking solves the problem of the time. So then, of course, if you have a large project and you're managing, I don't know, a team of 1,000 people, it is strategic to deploy 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 people on site so that that will help, uh, you know, gathering information faster. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, is it uh, necessary or mandatory? No. Is it uh, something that helps? Yes, of course, <laughs> you know, but not, not uh, always it is viable. Then I would say... Um, uh, that uh, the 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 usually the another big challenge that you mentioned is the how the the cross-functional teams interact, how the the teams that operate in different directions and departments interact. You have to understand that uh, not always you can uh, enforce a certain methodology and make all of them follow it. Okay, I would spend probably a lot of time. Uh, uh, explaining to someone from the marketing, you know, the value of uh, small releases that is a practice of extreme programming. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure that in the end, uh, I would not add any value to them. So it's uh, it, really, the, it's something that is really technical, you know, and really into the uh, software development. So probably the right way uh, for, uh, for organizing these teams is to make sure that everyone follows uh, the methodology that they that suits them the most mm -hmm. and uh, there is always contamination of information and the communication um very briefly brand ambassador 2017 the marketing team was closing so many deals in a row huge team i loved it sales and marketing and the tech team was coding new features, new features, new features. And then the, their problem was communication between the, the two teams. Okay, so marketing didn't know what uh, tech team was doing and tech team didn't know what was happening on sales, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, or the, or the, the, the conversations with the customer, etc. So very, very simply, I said, okay, from this moment on, uh, we uh, start with uh, 30 minutes every day. We invest 30 minutes every day with the, the tech leads and the and and then we rotate and and the, the marketing team and we contaminate each other. You talk about something happened today, you talk about something that happened today, and then you make a questions. Then we started to rotate so that everyone could absorb a bit, you know. A bit is always better than nothing, I would mm -hmm. say. And then what happened immediately after was uh, we started to rarify, you know, these meetings because they started to talk to each other uh, autonomously without uh, being in need of a team, of a meeting, sorry. 
That's this super cool. No, it's cool because you are actually uh, forcing nucleocolin contamination. We are forcing teams which would have talked to each other naturally to talk to one another. And so realizing that there are similarity in the way they do things. Yep. Absolutely. And they can absorb things from each other, you know, and that can can help a lot. Um, and uh, one example was deployment process. Marketing that doesn't know anything about that, but it needs that uh, in a way that by by understanding the challenges can the support uh, team that talks with, uh, with the, the end users can... Uh, uh, organize with the marketing team the newsletters and the the you know the updates that uh, go out to everyone every time you roll out some features or you introduce a new innovation etc so it's needed everyone needs to talk you know <laughs> in some way they have to do that yeah everybody needs to talk and sometimes i think Michele is also you know, different, I mean, probably it's easier, right, if you have a smaller team, but hopping across jobs and getting people in marketing to do delivery and delivery people to do marketing is, you know, when you come from a consulting background where you had to deliver and then you also have to, you know, as consultant, we used to have to deliver, right? And we could not be on the bench and we had to sell at the same time and we had to market. So consultant had actually have to often learn three skill set, delivery, understanding what good outcome looks like for clients. So it's outcome centric. Then you need to to actually achieve sales. You know, when I was in consulting, you know, the baseline target was 2 million uh, in addition to meeting your, you know, not being on the bench. So you had to be utilized for 65% of the time. And then to be smart, you know, you can't just sell. So you have to bring authority. So you need to understand how to do marketing. And then when you look at those skill set is what we need in business today, which is often missing, right? Because people tend to be siloed. But, you know, that cross-functional uh, discussion or hopping across jobs allows people to be much more respectful of other people's roles. Um, and also then having a broader value of how value is created for the customer. Yeah, agree. And it's just because people uh, sometimes uh, get focused too much in what they are doing, then that they totally ignore what others are doing, yeah. and creates a discrepancy that needs to, you know to be uh, addressed. You know, and probably the communication is is the best way to do it. But you will be surprised to discover how safe uh, that I mentioned before uh, is a highly based on this kind of contaminations. Highly mm. based. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I was going to ask you my last question. You know, we both know how rejuvenating ourselves is important, right? And uh, nicely enough, we are uh, in a summer month right now. And when this is going to be released, we'll probably be starting going back into the office. So how do you manage work-life balance, actually, Michele? How do you build a big business like you have, fulfill your clients' need, and find time for yourself? Uh, that's something that I learned late, I would say. Uh, started from, uh, uh, you know, uh, giving uh, everything. Uh, was working uh, seven on seven, uh, 12 hours per day, uh, never never stopping. I started as a freelance and then I, we went from one to 120 people, actually, just uh, without investor and then investing, uh, you know, the, the profit of the, of the company. And uh, 
the 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 way I do it now is not coming from me. I I want to thank you, Bill Gates, for uh, teaching me how how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the way he does it, that is my way too, and I love it. Um, is that uh, he discovered at a certain point that uh, uh, by your mind arrives to a saturation point in which your creativity goes to zero, literally just because you are uh, uh, consuming all your energy for problem solving. And uh, um, so he uh, started having a, a, a dedicated room uh, in which he was, uh, you know, going and spending time just for thinking. And uh, this room, of course, for Bill Gates became an estate at a certain point. He has this uh, house uh, villa on the, on the lake and uh, he goes there and he, uh, turns off everything and just uh, reads books, you know, and and uh, think about. Uh, uh, and, and actually, he doesn't think about things. Things solutions come mm-hmm. to his mind. Okay, uh, so for me, it's a bit different because I'm fortunate. I'm not a Bill Gates, uh, but uh, but I. Uh, I would say that uh, um, at a certain point, I, I really work a lot uh, in a eight months, nine months, ten months without any break. Uh, and then I take uh, one or two weeks to relax. For me, relax is uh, kind of uh, literally not doing anything that uh, in, that uh, involves my brain uh, that much. Uh, so I I totally turn off the you know my my brain and and try to relax. That can be resting more because usually we don't rest enough. And uh, uh, you know being in a pool or a seaside. Uh, having good food. I'm Italian. I'm sorry. So this <laughs> is crucial. You're in Italy, <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah. So so good food, uh, relax, and uh, and that uh, starts to you know recharge my batteries, and uh, ideas come to my mind. And usually that tiny period of of relax helps me, uh, you know, affording six eight more months of work, ten months of work. Uh, without stopping and uh, with a lot of new energy, a lot of new ideas, a lot of new uh, initiatives that uh, usually uh, become, you know, growth for uh, for the company. And uh, that uh, that is something that uh, has a pros and cons because in personal life, imagine my my girlfriend dealing with the idea that I would just relax, you know, on holiday. <laughs> that doesn't really... Uh, but I, I, so I don't know if my model is something that can be used as an example. But uh, personally, for me and for my family, for my, for for friends that uh, that know me, it it works. I would say that it works. Yeah. You know what? I think we are a bit similar in in that way, Michele. But yes, I mean in Italy, and I'm taking the month half. And you know, my inbox. I look at it. I don't touch it. Right. And people are probably annoyed with me because they are not going to get any response until I'm back. Um, But here is where I do the thinking and I do the reading. As I told you, I'm reading a few books right now. I am in a national park in a beautiful part of Italy and I go come here every every year. And uh, just before jumping in our discussion, I was literally sat outside with a little bit of music in the background doing my stuff. And that is the way uh, I relax. And like you, my husband is not always very impressed because I do want to go to the beach beach, and I want to sit by the swimming pool. I do not want to walk up the mountains. I just want to have me time. 
partly like you, uh, when you work six, seven months in a row, uh, you just need those two to three weeks to four weeks off to actually recharge your brain. Yeah. I have a question for you. What was your lunch? You're in Italy. I'm, I'm really curious. I want to know. So I had uh, pochetta from Le Marche, right? Marchegenen pochetta with nice bread. Uh, this is one of my favorites. And for sure, you know, a bit of artichokes and uh, some uh, prosciutto de la casa. Ah, okay. Top. I would say very good lunch. <laughs> very regional. And, you know, I eat pretty much every day some truffles as well with my pasta. So, you know, I'm trying to manage the weight. It's the best time actually to for me to lose weight, drink a lot of water, uh, eat a little bit of everything. Uh, but yes, I'm indulging as well a lot, Michele. Uh, yeah, truffles, I understand it. You, you just mentioned it and I'm already thinking about the dinner now. <laughs> so tell us, where can we find you? Come again, come again. So where can everybody while listening to this ah, discussion, yes. where okay. can they find you? If you want to follow me and learn more about Lasting Dynamics, just reach me out on on LinkedIn, I would say. That is where I spend some minutes every day. So you can always have a chance to chat with me and or you can send me an email. So my name is Michele Vittorio Cimino. That is easy for me to pronounce, but probably harder to research. You can search for Lasting Dynamics and then you will find me. And uh, and my email as well. Uh, probably you should drop an email to info at lastingdynamics.com so that uh, uh, we can uh, start any any conversation. I also uh, conduct a podcast, as you know, uh, the Digital Transformation Podcast. We are at uh, episode number seven of the second season. Now it's going quite well. I'm happy. And um, so you can also follow us uh, on uh, social uh, uh, networks, you know, and uh, and uh, on any channel for for podcast and uh, and that's all. Thank I've you. been looking at it, and uh, yes, fun, a lot of fun as well. So please make sure you look for Lasting Dynamic and find Michele Chimino, right? And uh, because I actually just put those two names, and I can find you, Michele. You are findable actually on LinkedIn and social channels. And so what would be the last words of wisdom you want to share with our audience tonight? Um, I would just say to the youngest generations, this is something that is uh, continuously happening because of our academy. So I, we usually train 200 people every year in the IT field. I would say to the youngest uh, generations uh, do not have uh, this uh, kind of uh, uh, rush, um, you know, do not rush too much into becoming the super expert or of whatever. Take your time to learn in depth, start from the uh, theory. Uh, you know, I don't want to sound like uh, the, as the old guy, because when I was at the university, my, my professors were telling me that the theory was everything. And I was like, no, no, we need to understand more about the practical part. Mm -hmm. Try to find the right balance, because if you dedicate too much time just in coding, uh, you know, spending time on, on a particular technology, etc., then you will probably ignore software architectures, design pattern, uh, higher level of abstractions that help you having a comprehensive mindset of all the, you know, the, 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 of the overall IT scenario. So take your time for digesting well everything. Don't rush and mm -hmm. 
uh, try to balance well between uh, reading some books, some official documentation, uh, and then, uh, you know, putting in practice what, what you learned. Okay, so this is my message for everyone. Uh, and it comes from the bottom of my heart because uh, I'm in these days, uh, I've been repeating it a lot into the academies. Awesome. Well, Michele, thank you for joining me on Scouting for Growth. Looking forward to listening to Lasting Dynamics podcast on digital transformation as well. And until next, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Ciao, ciao. If you like this podcast, subscribe now, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed it, please give it a five-star review. Also, if you want to cover any specific subject with me, contact me on Instagram under Subin VDL Officials or LinkedIn under Sabine van der Linden. Thank you.